You are listening to the podcast, When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Today, I'm welcoming Daniel G to the podcast. Daniel is one of the UK's most highly respected sports lawyers who has worked on a number of high-profile deals over the years. He is often called upon by the likes of Sky and BBC to dissect complex legal issues in sport. As well as this, he is a published author of Done Deal and his second book, Build the Invisible, has just been released. Daniel also presents a couple of podcasts, the Daniel G podcast, which is football focused, and the other, Build the Invisible, which is a series of interviews with which he built the premise of his second book on. On top of all this, Daniel somehow finds time to run a charity fashion brand called 13, in which all profits go towards funding research into cancer. So, Daniel G is a multi-talented, super busy guy, and I couldn't be more grateful that he has agreed to come and chat to us today. Hello, Daniel. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> oh my God, you've, you've, you've boosted my ego so much. I always hate hearing this. You know, it's the same, isn't it? It's like, you hear it, and there's half of you which is like, oh, this is a, you actually sound really good on paper, don't exactly. you? And the other half is a bit like, oh, it's so cringy. I know, but everyone needs to know. <laughs> um, and look, I've painted this picture of how talented, successful, driven you are in a number of professional and personal fields. But I know that life hasn't always been easy for you. And as you know, this podcast is called When Life Gives You Lemons. So I would like to start on unveiling what those lemons were for you. So I think the the first thing is everything's relative. So I know you're going to have loads of fascinating people on the, um, on the, the podcast that are going to tell um, probably lots more difficult stories than the ones I'm going to give. Um, but it's like anything, you're shaped and formed by usually a lot of your experiences in your youth, um, in truth. And that makes you um, the person you are or um, uh, you do things in spite of the things that have happened when you're young, which makes you the person you are. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Look, I think like a lot of families uh, go through, they go through difficult times. Um, you know, my parents were divorced when I was 12, 13, a little bit younger. Yeah. Um, it brings with it all of its um, challenges. There's always a question about whether if you had the choice, do you rather have your parents divorced when you're young or when they're old? Oh, or whether really? that's a little bit of a zero sum yeah, discussion yeah, yeah. in itself. I think when you're a kid, you're definitely more flexible and maybe even more pragmatic. You don't even realize when you're a bit older, you're more set in your ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your routines and then, you know, things become maybe a bit more tricky. But for me, I think um, I probably did the uh, the man thing, which yeah. is uh, not talk very much about my feelings, even mm-hmm. as a kid or even as an adult, yeah. <laughs> fair to say. We'll come on to that time. <laughs> um, 
tried just to show that things weren't impacting me, I guess, is the truth. So you do that by uh, what are the objective measures mm-hmm. um, that uh, it looks like as a kid you're doing all right, which is good grades at school, yeah. um, sociable, playing sport, um, doing the things, not showing too much um, uh, outward strain of anything that's going on mm-hmm. um, and trying just to get on with things really. So, um, and that in truth um, held me in pretty good stead yeah. um, into my adult life really, which is, um, you know, don't rely on anybody else. You can yeah. deal with everything yourself. Um, you don't really need to talk about it because you've dealt with difficult things in the past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ultimately do the default that's worked out well. Yeah. Um, so do you feel that your parents being divorced did build your resilience? Well, not at the time. Mm. <laughs> the truth is, is yeah. that at the time you're a bit, as a kid, I think with any types of significant events, um, the, the, the bit really is um, how, for me it was, how do I demonstrate that I'm okay? Mm. When probably I wasn't. I was going to say, were, were you okay? Probably not. Well, no, I know I wasn't because, yeah. I, you know, I've, yeah, I think um, uh, without going, well, you can go into any detail you want, really. <laughs> it's like, you know, I think a really important part of my journey, we'll come back to it in a second, when mum got ill and we did all the 13 stuff and all of the, the stuff that was going on was I realised quite quickly that what I thought was my superpower of, mm. you know, being defiant, being, you know, um, my own island, being able to just yeah. deal with everything myself was through my world upside down really because actually I cu- after a while it built up too much yeah. it was like a, either a pressure cooker or things were overflowing yeah. and um what ended up happening as a result is that I went into my shell completely mm-hmm. sort of like you go into war mode in a way which I'm sure you can sort of empathize with yeah, in lots of, of different ways and um I, you know I literally felt the only way I could deal with it was dealing with myself when I, when really the inverse was true yeah. and slowly but slowly, slowly bit by bit it was opening up to the people that were the most important to me <clears throat> developing better, me- better mechanisms to say that five times yeah. um, to be able to articulate how I was feeling mm-hmm. and then also speak to uh, someone about being able to work through the stuff from childhood mm-hmm. how to deconstruct probably the things that I had built quite secure safety mechanisms for yes. and actually develop a better probably healthier way of articulating the stuff that had gone on, mm. the stuff that continues to go on, and how that builds actually better relationships with the people that are closest to me. Of course. So at what age do you think you realise that being your own island wasn't actually the best way forward? About 18 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that, the, tr- well, the truth is, is that, I, I, you know, I remember, I remember a conversation I had with Holly, my wife, when... Um, I was just, you know, I put everything into work stuff and family stuff to a degree, but more work stuff. And we came back from um, um, a family holiday. I'd more or less spent the whole family holiday working completely through my own uh, poor decision making of having to write a chapter for a sports law textbook. Mm -hmm. And I think I was more annoyed than Holly was. In truth, I had to spend most of my holiday doing it, but it was totally um, impractical. I remember her coming back um, we were um, having a chat upstairs um, in the house and she was like, you've got to, you've got to make some changes on stuff. Um, and you've got to, um, you know, we're, 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 we're moving in different directions and I can't, I can't mind read. I can't understand sometimes the things mm-hmm. that are going on in your head because you're not communicating anything yeah. with me. Um, and that had been probably going on for a while, but I hadn't seen it. And she obviously had. Yeah, of course. And I was a bit like, in the beginning, well, tell me what, tell me what I should do. 
And Holly was a bit like, well, I, I don't know what you should do. <laughs> yeah. But I know some good ideas to start thinking about how to change things. So that was probably four or five years ago. Okay, so quite recently, yeah. really. Yeah. And so really, the initial thing was communication. I think, honestly, especially, I, I think generally women's superpower mm-hmm. is their ability to be able to tell other people how they feel. Not, it, not all women. Not all women, <laughs> but if you, I'd say the average woman and the average man. If you can comparing like for like types of stuff, yeah, men are horrendous articulators. Okay. We are just not very good at communicating, and we think we can just generally, generally, yeah. generally deal with everything ourselves. Yeah. So have you read Gabor Mate's work? Okay. So yeah. I've just finished his book um, called "When the Body Says No: mm. The Hidden Cost of Stress," and it's really interesting because it's basically. Um, a lot of what you're talking about. So what he is saying, he's, a, he's an esteemed doctor, um, physician from Canada, and he's done lots and lots of research how the big, well, he believes one of the biggest risk factors for the majority of autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, um, well, he, 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 multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. cancer, he believes one of the biggest risk factors is emotional suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically when people keep their emotions in and especially he's saying um, suppression of anger and he feels that women suppress their emotions more than men because they're kind of inherently people pleasers so they don't want to put those emotions on their loved ones so they kind of hold it all in um, so it's interesting how you know you're saying that you feel that women I, I get what you're saying in terms of women maybe and I'm just really I'm I'm really lucky that a lot of the women I, I, that surround me are very good articulators of their feelings mm. and um, are able to be able to articulate better than I have been yeah. able to do on the things that have happened but I complete I completely see I think a lot of people <clears throat> look it's about getting deep and meaningful and we can, we can go into book club <laughs> well, we can get in a second <laughs> is um you know self-reflection right is the most painful and yes. most liberating thing you can do yeah you could have written not, his book pardon <laughs> you could have written uh, that book no well that, and, but that's exactly the point yeah it's like people don't want to do it of course because it brings up shit can i say yeah. shit yes okay children won't be listening to this okay um <laughs> It brings up stuff um, that is inherently very uncomfortable. Whatever it is, no matter what your life is, it's Mm -hmm. all relative. You might have had a perfect life um, and still there's plenty of stuff Mm. which is impacted in loads of different ways. In the same way, you might have had a horrendous upbringing in loads of different ways. And it will still, you know, your your self-reflection bucket is Mm. only variable depending on what is in it from your circumstance oh yeah absolutely and in terms of um getting kind of over trauma Mm. is you know again lots of the reading around trauma that i do tells us that you need to face trauma Mm. so when you you know when you kind of try and pretend that something hasn't happened so you ignore those disappointments and those losses if you don't grieve them Mm. then you can't get over them Mm. so the only way to kind of move forward and to achieve um I'm thinking of Edith Eager's work. Have you read no. The Choice? Oh, she's another amazing. Okay, gonna, she's a Holocaust can, survivor. We can talk about this. Um, after, she's a psychologist, Holocaust survivor, and she talks about the only way to achieve freedom from what you've been through is 
to what does she say she says to dismount you have to dismantle the prison mm. which is your brain brick by brick mm. so you have to face everything that you've been through dismantle it and then only then can you achieve freedom so it's basically what you're saying you have to embrace you have to self-reflect and embrace what you've been through mm. and i think that's amazing because i think so many people do what you do and on their little island thinking you know let's be strong let's move forward but actually we really need to kind of face that and obviously now you've you've been down that path of self-reflection and how have you come out the other side uh, well, it just got me thinking about just two other brief things that I read a little bit ago, and I'll talk about that for a second. Is the first um, during lockdown is someone recommended me Brené Brown's yeah. uh, TED talk on uh, the power of vulnerability. Yeah. So I'd really recommend. I know we've I've, we've talked yeah. about that before as well. It's just awesome, um, and it was talking about how you become more of your authentic self mm -hmm. as a result of not um, uh, articulating poor me stories about how yeah. terrible life has been, but authentically articulating. Um, the stuff which impacts you, which then resonates more with other people rather than, oh, I'm great, I'm fine, things are wonderful, yeah. and then everything three years later falls apart and everyone's like, well, I thought everything was great, mm -hmm. which fits into this whole comparison society yeah. that we've got going on, right? Well, it's been going on for years, but definitely is highlighted by all this type of social media stuff. And the other thing that all I'd say on... Um, um, on uh, effectively confronting the thing that is always the most uncomfortable. It's quite an extreme thing, but I read uh, about how particular Buddhist monks mm -hmm. on a daily basis um, look at pictures of dead people. Ooh. And it's re I was re when I started reading, I was like, it's really odd. I was very, it was very uncomfortable to even read it. Right. And they were explaining that the highest form of self-reflection is realizing that at some point you will die. Yeah. And the problem with that approach is, or the benefit of that approach is, is that if you can, on a daily basis, reflect on the fact that death is coming at some point mm -hmm. and still embrace life as a result, yeah. everything, everything else yeah. generally is on an upward trajectory from yeah. there, really. Yeah, yeah. So as much as I was a bit like, oh, that's a really, really uncomfortable example, mm. the self-reflection of... You know, when people obviously try and shock you and go, well, you're going to die one day anyway, so you might as well just enjoy yeah. it. That's, there's always a bit of truth in something if yeah. you can find the right reflection point. Um, so anyway, to your point, to your question, which was how have things improved since? Yes, <laughs> I was thinking I forgot it. <laughs> well, again, I'll give you one more story, which I've uh, which um, actually came of. So if, if part of the story was not... Um, uh, trying to burden my mum with all yeah. of the stuff to do with divorce or stuff to do with her illness mm -hmm. and be the strong person and not worry about it. Whereas mum's perception at the time was, I don't want to put this on my boys, basically. I yeah. don't want to worry them. Yeah. I'll be okay. So everyone's, everyone's self-reflecting. Yeah, everyone's on their own <laughs> island of yeah. worry and anxiety about the other rather than, you know, I think, which is a really important point as well. At some point, you've got to be selfish to concentrate yeah. on yourself. Only by doing that can then you help other people, I think, is the point. You, only from a stable foundation can you then yeah. suggest Absolutely. to other people. And even then, you know, I think it's always very tricky. Yeah. But what mum... So I started talking... I literally... I know it sounds really ridiculous. I started talking to mum about how mm. I was feeling, about okay. her and her illness. So you made a conscious effort. I made a conscious talk. effort to start mm -hmm. talking about it with her. Yeah, sorry to interject. I don't think we've talked about your mum. You haven't, I mean, I know what your mum's illness mm. is, but can you just explain, you know, what well, your mum's Well, it was through? a while back now, maybe 11, 12 years ago, she was diagnosed with uh, stage three uterine cancer, Yeah. Um, which uh, 
was pretty advanced, um, was very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she had <clears throat> uh, uh, operations, chemo, uh, radiotherapy, and then it came back um, in the lung, her lung, it's about six years ago or so mm-hmm. now. And at that point, we made a change in the doctor. Um, right. uh, so one of my brother's friends, Dr. John Krell, mm-hmm. then uh, took over her treatment. And thank God has been, she's now six years, effectively six years um, clear. Amazing. Um, which is fantastic. And we've built all of us a, a really strong relationship with John. Yeah. Um, and what we decided to do is instead of doing the marathon or triathlon thing, yeah. which I'd actually <laughs> done, done already. in the past already, yeah. um, not to the extent that you had done anywhere near it, um, but I was like, right, let's do, well, I talked about, I'm just gonna do a charity uh, t-shirt basically and try yeah. and sell that. And then after a bit of um, uh, exploration, I was like, I can actually do a few other things. So that's where this and this yeah. and all this type of stuff's from. I'm basically just a walking billboard. <laughs> um, and 4.13 for those so, that can't yes, see exactly. you. So, and yeah. also because 13 um, uh, for mum is a very, very like spiritual number. In the Jewish religion, it's mm-hmm. a very big number. Yeah. Um, 13 uh, um, tribes of Israel, 13 is when you have your bar mitzvah, 13 mm-hmm. is like the certain very uh, uh, books of wisdom effectively in the Jewish religion as well. Yeah. And during mum's treatment as well, very briefly, um, she always felt that um, her mum, my grandma, was always very, very clear on this 13 number being very lucky for her. And uh, when she always needed that little picking me up or whatever else it might be, mm-hmm. um, she would always see 13s everywhere, yeah. which regardless of whether you believe in or wow. not, had a very important placebo or non-placebo effect on mm-hmm. mum, almost feeling like grandma was there to, to help her with stuff. It was like yeah. uh, uh, seats in cars, taxis, buses, yeah. times, you know, all all of the usual stuff that yeah. when you're looking out for gives you that comfort. Yeah. Whether you believe it's random or not is um, a different story. Amazing. And so, um, and so after all of that uh, had happened and, you know, I had had that reflection time and started sitting down and talking to mum about stuff, um, uh, I explained to her that actually, you know, one of the things that I hated mm-hmm. around the West End of London, mm. um, around all of the streets around the hospitals, which would be in, um, uh, uh, what's this? Um, I'm literally losing my mind now. I'll come back to me in a second. Okay. Harley Street. Yes. All the streets around Harley Street, which are renowned as, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, cancer treatment areas and big mm-hmm. hospitals generally, is I would go out of my way to avoid going down those streets. Oh, wow because it had that impact on me that all I remember from that time ago up until more recently was going into these appointments, hearing that stuff wasn't great, um, going through um, uh, radiotherapy and chemo Mm -hmm. with her and operations. um, And it really impacted, you know, it's like that, the feeling I had was all negative. So it was like post-traumatic stress, basically. I don't know if it's that dramatic, but But, for me- Well, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but. Really, I think what you're describing, if you can't go back to somewhere because it fills you with those negative mm. thoughts, then that probably is an element of post-traumatic yeah. stress. And the, the hilarious thing about it was, I can only say it's hilarious because <laughs> mum, like so straight-faced, just came mm. back and said, you've got this all, you've got this 100% wrong, Daniel. She's mm. like, she said to me, um, I walk down those streets constantly, thanking God <laughs> that those streets exist. Because yeah. if those streets hadn't existed and those people in those buildings yeah. hadn't helped me, I'd be a goner. Amazing. And I was a bit like, oh yeah. my God, I got this completely <laughs> wrong. So now, you yeah. know, it's so funny how one little 
uh, insight change or mm. reflection point can completely change your mindset on yeah. something. And that was a really important mindset change for me uh, where I, I began to really embrace mm. the the positive of what could be horrendously yeah. negative experience, I Amazing. guess. Amazing. There's, there's that mindset switch, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes that's all it takes is just looking at something from a different perspective. Yep. But so I'm really interested in the fact that when your mum was initially diagnosed with cancer 13 years ago, or I think you said 13 years mm. ago, and you know you weren't communicating mm. about it, and then with the recent diagnosis, mm. you'd already gone through your your self-reflection stage and you were able to communicate, is that right? Definitely, definitely getting better with it, yeah. So did you kind of, in a way, find that second diagnosis a bit easier to deal with? Uh, it's probably harder, actually. Mm. It's probably harder because, you know, you just hope that it doesn't, cancer doesn't come back yeah. and all the, just all the stuff around that, really. And also because I just hadn't reflected on the fact that mum might not be around. That's yeah. the truth. Everybody's just nicely sleepwalking through expecting mm. um lemonade rather than lemons yeah, yeah, yeah. is the truth yeah. and all of these bumps come in the way um whether you you articulate it as there to test us or to mm. you know go on slightly different journeys or to think about yeah. things in different ways but it it, di it didn't make it any easier it just meant i was probably better equipped yeah to, to try and deal with it a bit better so potentially a little bit more resilient potentially you'd build up a few more kind of strategies of how to deal with things well it's really interesting you mentioned on the resilience thing because we've talked about it before and we'll get we'll get into book club book, book club <laughs> territory now but one of my f two of my favorite books yeah. are mindset and grit yeah from angela duckworth and carol dweck mm -hmm. and the grit book really stuck with me in a few ways because she was trying to uh, Angela Duckworth is trying to explain how it's not something you're just born with mm -hmm. which I think is really 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 important it's almost like I think some people think well you've either got resilience yeah. or you don't have resilience yeah. you either you know born that way and you've got a particular genetic disposition mm -hmm. or you don't yeah and I never thought anything differently in truth, whether I was weak-willed, strong-minded, mm -hmm. whatever else it might be. But my strong takeaway, as well from mindset, but mainly from grit, was you've properly got to practice yes. resilience. Yeah. And you can't practice resilience by just saying I'm resilient. Mm. You've got to actually practice resilience again without going back is you've got to self-reflect yeah. on um, what what makes you the person you are, how yeah. you go about doing things in particular ways, what are your strengths and weaknesses yeah. generally, and then practicing doing the thing that you need to to get better at, yeah. actually, that nothing is static and set in stone, but very malleable and um, uh, and flexible, really. Yeah, I mean, in terms of resilience, I because I, I work in um, with elite athletes, I work in sport as a physiotherapist. And so I see how we kind of train these super athletes to be resilient. Mm. And exactly what you're saying, some athletes aren't necessarily born resilient, but they are trained. And one of my favorite stories that I read about as an example of that is um, Michael Phelps, a swimmer. Um, his coach used to kind of teach him resilience. And so he turned up at a World Cup and the coach basically took his goggles and hid them. So he's at a World Cup event and he goes up to his coach. He says, I've got no goggles. I, I can't race. I've got no goggles. And the coach was like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? We're here. You've got to swim. So he swam without his goggles and I think he probably won the event. And the, the coach's theory here is like, now he's won the race without his goggles. 
Mm. Next time he has a race, if his goggles have a little scratch on or if he can't find them, you know, he'll win the race again. Mm. And I think it's it's such a good life lesson that we can all teach, you know, we can all take and we can learn we can learn resilience, we can teach our kids resilience. Um, because I think you're right, I don't think we are born resilient. I think it's definitely the case and um, there's lots of things I was thinking about there, but I think the one thing that um, gives me comfort in a lot of ways is the the idea of um, uh, of the practice element of it, which you've seen for years working with elite athletes. I, I think you get a lot of confidence mm. from the compounding effect of practicing and consistency. It's yeah. all of these really boring words yeah. that no one really talks about enough. Uh, there's a phrase, I'm trying to remember the phrase that Duckworth used, it's, that it's um, come back to me in a second, okay. but it's more or less the monotony of consistency. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it, literally the phrase sounds ridiculously boring, <laughs> never mind actually doing it, yeah. but the comfort that someone gets in practicing the thing that's difficult mm -hmm. will hold you in brilliant stead. So when I was, um, when I was researching the Build Invisible book, um, I had this one chapter that I couldn't quite work out how to write or do. And I'd interviewed all of these people and there's loads of disparate things. And I read one thing, you know how you read one thing mm -hmm. and then it just connects everything together yeah. in a way. And so this lady um, that I work with called um, Rebecca Smith, who's an amazing individual. She's a two-time Olympian uh, athlete. She uh, is the captain of the New Zealand football team. Okay. Uh, she won the Champions League. Uh, she uh, then worked at FIFA at Copenhagen. She's done everything yeah. and is so just like amazing person. And uh, she said this phrase to me, which is actually the, the um, uh, I plagiarized for the, the chapter heading of the book, which is called Happy is Hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so simple, but it was so difficult for me to understand. I, 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 it took me about three months to actually understand what yeah. she was saying. And it came about through another thing that someone said to me that I listened to a podcast on, which I've recommended to, <laughs> to you and Johnny. Mm -hmm. um, it was an angel investor that was on this podcast called The Knowledge Project. And he has a personal trainer. Uh, and the personal trainer's um, motto is... Um, hard choice easy life yeah easy choice hard life mm -hmm. and again it took me a lot of time just to try and deconstruct these things of how they all work together but the basic principle is i think i'm still trying mm -hmm. to tell you with it to a degree is you've got to make hard choices yeah the hard choices are not easy mm -hmm. they are difficult they are uncomfortable yes they uh, put you in positions you don't, might not want to be in but for the longer term, it works out much better mm. rather than the comfortable nature of a lot of our lives at the moment yeah. very much gravitates towards the easy choice. Mm -hmm. Shall I have vegetables or shall I have Haribo? <laughs> shall I watch Netflix or should I write my next chapter in my book? Yeah. Should I stay in bed for the extra half an hour or mm -hmm. should I set my alarm a half an hour earlier to be able to go to the gym? Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff now you're defined effectively by the hard, the, the difficulty of your choice. Mm. Going back to the consistency and the um, the difficulty and the compounding effects of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody sees the external projection of what they want to be. Yeah. Oh, they're doing. Daniel's doing amazing football law stuff, or is working on the biggest cases and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Fine, that might be the case, might not be the case as well. Yeah. But nobody sees the internal stuff that yeah. you're going through in order to better yourself. Yeah. 
no one's going to be looking at 10 o'clock at night whether you're in bed whether you've gone for a run or whether you're reading something that's of value or whether you're doing something yeah. or whether you're just watching another episode of Netflix of course so where do you get your drive from then to choose the hard choices not the easy choices well again you, so you that, this is one of the questions you prepped me on <laughs> a, a few days ago and uh, it the answer actually came exactly as you asked it then because I couldn't work out the answer to it actually mm -hmm. the answer is I do the opposite of what my instinctive brain tells me to do oh really mm. but surely you can't rely on that no but my instinctive brain is mm. lazy and needs satisfaction straight away okay which is do the easy thing yeah so then you so, okay, so most people then would do the easy thing. Correct. So what makes you think, no, I'm, go I'm going to do the hard thing? Because, because human nature's defaults to the easy option almost all of the time. So do, I'm not saying I do it all the time. <laughs> I try and do it most of the time when I know I've got something to do. Yeah. But the other thing is, um, and I brought this diary in part because of me making some notes and prep, mm -hmm. but also because at the back is a routine journal okay. of this, which is actually quite cool. And... Mm -hmm. I literally, if you can see, yeah, I, I literally cross off on a daily basis mm -hmm. if I've done the thing that I was supposed to have done today. So do you set yourself goals? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I didn't daily, used to. Daily, weekly? Daily on particular things. So have I done my exercise? Have I done my rehab from, what, <laughs> from back in the day with the knee injuries that I've yeah. had with you? Um, not that you caused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excuse me. <laughs> um, have I read with my kids? Yeah. Have I written my book? Have I have I practiced gratitude? That was actually one of the big things, mm -hmm. um, which maybe we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, and routine is key. Literally, mm -hmm. the boring, monotonous routine of have I done it three days in a row? Have I done it four days in a row? Have I done it five days in a row? Do yeah. I actually want to let the sixth day go because I've actually built up a momentum yeah and usually 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 it's after about 23 24 days in my experience mm -hmm. that the thing that is difficult to do in those first 23 days actually flips in your brain a bit like oh we've got to do this again so we're just going to do it yeah but without having the accountability of this yeah i wouldn't get to i wouldn't get to that stage in really? a bit actually so when did you start that process after i read atomic habits by oh, james yeah. clear yeah i've read that as well yeah so I mean, it's, it's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple. It's and such so I just a took, simple concept. I just took the really simple thing was, which is do mm. the very, very, very small thing that makes a disproportionate change. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, like marginal gains as well. You know, in my world, tiny, tiny gains, and then you're going to win your medals, basically. Yep. It's, or at least get a lot closer to them. Yeah. Which is exactly it. Yeah. But again, I'm always interested on that, which is the end goal. Mm. The end goal is cool. Yeah. But a lot of the time, the problem is when the goal is reached. Yes. But what, so what's your end? But the same for you, surely. Enjoy the game. Enjoy. Enjoy. Like, so enjoy the process. You've got to enjoy the process of it. Yeah. Yeah, which is, which is tricky sometimes. Especially because you've just said it's very hard. You're choosing the hard choices. Mm. The, it's sometimes a bit mundane, boring. So how do you sometimes then motivate yourself to enjoy that? That's hard as well. Uh, well, I asked someone else that on the, one of the podcasts that I was saying, and he said to me, I try and do a very hard thing as quickly as possible in the morning. And then the rest of the day is more straightforward as a result. So I was like, what do you mean? She goes, mm. So he said, I just have a cold shower first thing. Every part of being of his body hates the cold shower. Yeah. But it gets better in time. It's supposed to be very good for your immune yeah. system and all the rest of it. But it's thing that I'm positive nobody wants to do first thing I certainly don't 
but yeah. I do it on occasion, occasion and I do it after exercise because I know it benefits my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is if you do a hard thing very early, first thing, mm-hmm. you, I think for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and it, it does help sometimes, then you're a bit like, well, I've done one hard thing. What's to stop me doing the next thing that I don't want to do? Because actually it's quite straightforward. Yeah, that's very interesting. So if you're committed to the process and you're enjoying the day-to-day, do you also set yourself longer-term goals? So in terms of like your ambition, um, you know, career-wise, do, do you have long-term career ambitions on top of the daily process stuff? Uh, I, I have them somewhere in my brain, but I'm not sure if it's all connected up just yet. <laughs> um, so... I mean, the only reason I say it is because I was on a podcast with a great guy called Sam Sloan about four years ago, and he asked, actually asked me the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, actually, the thing I really want to do is um, do a fashion brand, a charity fashion brand. Okay. And he was like, what are you talking about? You're a lawyer and you, you've written a book and now yeah. you want to start a charity fashion brand. And I just said, well, why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, and the reason why I say that is because I've, I've got ideas on stuff that's in the pipeline that I know I will do. I've just got to work out the priority list of doing it yeah. at the right time. So I'm in the midst of writing a book with my two girls on football, okay. which is really cool, which I'm really excited oh, about. Brilliant. Will that be a kid's book? That will be a kid's book. Yes, exactly. Um, Fiction or? It's basically asking all of the questions that seven to 10 year olds ask about what I do or okay. what happens in the football industry. Yeah. And the challenge for me is being able to write it very concisely mm. and succinctly in a paragraph. So yeah. I've got to write an answer that a seven-year-old will understand, which is a great journey yeah. in itself, actually. It's a bit like if you read, I know you have read it, actually, the Matthew Syed book, You Are Awesome. Mm. It's a brilliant kid's mm. book because it's such a, it's all about, obviously, growth mindset, but it's written so that a seven-year-old can understand it. Yeah. And I, I think it's an amazing book. I agree. So we try and read a bit with Izzy, my eldest, on it. Um, but she, you know, she'll read it when she's ready, I guess, in, yeah. <laughs> in truth. Well, it, yeah, it's it's hard for them maybe to understand it. But I just think the way he has written it is so simple. And I suppose that's kind of what you're trying to achieve with your book. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, going forward, like I've got all these different ideas and plans. But actually, it just sometimes you just got to let the current of the, your decisions take you where they sometimes will go. Like we've talked mm-hmm. about you doing this podcast yeah. for ages now <laughs> yeah. and it's brilliant that you've done yeah. it because I, the thing is 99.9% of people don't do anything. Yeah, It sounds really harsh and a little bit sort of what it is, mm-hmm. but it's true as well. Yeah. That The people that get things done, their competitive advantage is most people won't do it. Oh, wow. That's yeah. the, but that is the truth. Yeah. That, that is the truth. Because and it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And it's like that whole vulnerability thing again. It's taking yourself outside of your comfort zone and putting yourself out for criticism, and that's it's quite difficult. It's I think it was Lincoln, wasn't it? We had that speech about the man in the arena. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have, you, have you heard it? It's no. all about, you know, everyone can criticise yeah. the person that's done the thing mm-hmm. because they haven't done it. Yeah. And you only know how hard it is and how difficult it's become and all the stuff that's gone wrong mm-hmm. um, by doing it. Yeah. But the person on the outside holds no should hold no sway for the man in the arena because they're the ones doing and not just saying yeah that's the distinction i think such a good point if we kind of go a bit full circle now um and if i ask you if you hadn't been through those tough times so as a kid your parents divorce and then your mum's cancer 
Do you think you would be in the same place professionally and maybe personally now? Do you think you'd be in the same place? Oh, in the parallel universe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing. question no, no. and no one knows the answer, but I'm interested on if you, what you think about Something it. else would have happened. Yeah. Something else would have happened worse, better, different. Yeah. You know, chaos theory and everything else would suggest <laughs> otherwise. But what I do know, and I wrote in the beginning of the Dundee book, was that, you know, my dad is a barrister, mm-hmm. um, you literally, but a performer, really. I mean, he could have been an actor in a different life, in truth, as well. Yeah. Um, but standing up on his in his stage in court, doing his thing, and mum as you know, effectively for a while, a professional tennis player in the, on the, on her court doing the same thing. And I almost said <laughs> that the courts are the thing that has bound me together in a yeah. way, the tennis court and the law court, which has sort of got me into my sports law yeah. sort of space. So I think, um, I think, and I hope I was always going to try and be in the sports space in some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an argument that football has saved me, is the truth, from yeah. whatever else I would have otherwise done in life you know my dad my mum always tells me the story of how when I was seven years old or eight years old they bought they bought me on tape on VHS the official history of Liverpool Football Club and it got used so many times I think you know I don't think I was an autistic kid (laughs) I'm yet to be confirmed yeah I wasn't I don't think so anyway (laughs) but what I mean is is that I think I watched it and mum could probably attest to it hundreds of times like hundreds of times maybe that was also because it wasn't, you know, you can't stream anything. Yeah, you only yeah, had yeah. limited videos that you could yeah. buy. You know, you had to go to the shop to be able to do the thing. And there was yeah. no other way for me to consume Liverpool content. <laughs> so I, I watched this thing wow. like thousands of times to the extent then that when it was a dinner party and my, my dad and his friends were asking about a player in the 70s that they couldn't mm. remember, I sort of just walked in and said the name, <laughs> which was obviously second nature to me because I'd watched this goal so yeah. many times on so many yeah. times on TV. So um, football has been incredibly essential almost to everything I do is the mm. truth. If it's the book, if it's the work, yeah. if it's the people that I've met, if it's the conversations that I can have, mm. which in a way makes me extremely one dimensional, <laughs> <laughs> but also has given me an amazing foundation then to do all of the other stuff, which yeah. is talk to you about things, mm. write stuff on the industry, yeah. be introduced to loads of people and then actually broaden my stuff out to start thinking about, you know, yeah. all of these things we've talked about today. Yeah. But it's, it's so, you know, it's great that you've you've found a way to mix your passion with everything else, basically, mm. which, you know, is, is quite motivating for other people, hopefully listening, that, you know, they could try and do the same. Obviously, like you said, it's not easy. <laughs> it is a difficult process, but, but one that you've done really well at. I'm going to finish with asking you one more question. Um, if you could go back in time to your 12, 13 year old self when your parents were getting divorced and it was, like you said, a tough time what would you tell yourself? Oh, so you know what, this asked me a really interesting question just before COVID Mm -hmm. um, uh, a friend of mine was thinking about writing a book on experiences uh, and the question um, that they po- he posed to about 15 of us was to write 500 words on what you would say to your younger self. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And 
it was actually the most difficult and rewarding thing I'd written. I'm, I'm going to work out at some point whether to actually publish it because it's mm. quite personal, actually, in truth. I'm sure. Um, because it was, you know, comes from all different experiences. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, the conclusion I came to was nothing. <laughs> honestly, nothing. Yeah. Not to say anything. Because I know it sounds really odd to me, but maybe it's the way that my brain works. Mm. But I would actually feel like I'm cheating myself. I'm cheating my, my former self from mm-hmm. going through the experiences that I've experienced in between in order to get me to the position I am now. Mm. And if I didn't have that journey, yeah. which sometimes was really difficult in relative sense, uncomfortable yeah. and tricky, but most of the time, amazing, yeah. um, then I wouldn't be here reflecting the way I'm mm. trying to reflect on you know, what's happened and what's gone before. Yeah. So the truth is, and maybe no one else will say this, well, and I'll be really great. awkward, but yeah. nothing. Oh, I love that. I love that because you actually, you know, you've enjoyed the journey, which is so important. You know, you've enjoyed every aspect. It sounds like you've enjoyed every aspect of it, even the challenging ones, and you're continuing to challenge yourself, which I think is is really inspirational. Um, Daniel, thank you. We're going to bring this to a close. But, you know, I, I really think people can kind of read your books, listen to your podcast, hopefully listen to this and be motivated and inspired by how driven you are. Um, and where can people find you if people want to know a bit more about you? Well, there's a, there's an aptly named website called DanielG.com. Good. <laughs> uh, and then you can uh, yeah just find all the stuff on books and blogs and podcast yeah. and, and charity stuff. And you, you Twitter, you've got a Twitter handle? Yeah, which is Football Law, because that's more or less how I started out doing a lot of the blogging stuff. So it's Football Brilliant. Law, and then it's the same across Insta and LinkedIn. And I'm on TikTok, actually, as well. Ooh. Although I'm not singing or dancing. I was going to say, do you dance on TikTok? No, oh, uh, I think my, my kids would have disowned <laughs> me by that stage if I hadn't done. That's one for the future, maybe. Correct. Thank you, Daniel. Pleasure. <laughs> We're so excited that the first series of When Life Gives You Lemons is sponsored by Coe's Linen. Coe's supply some of the UK's finest hotels with luxury linens, including bedding, towels and bathrobes. So if you want to feel like you're on holiday or a spa break every day, then I can highly recommend their products. I really love my personalised bathrobe. You know that feeling when you've had a long day at work or a really hard workout. That's when all I want is to have a hot bath dry myself in my fluffy Coase towel and then relax on the sofa. And that is when you'll find me in my Coase bathrobe. Honestly, the most cosy item I've ever owned. All products can be personalised with custom monograms designed by leading interior designer Sophie Patterson. You can find them exclusively online at www.coselinen.com. Listeners to When Life Gives You Lemons can save 10% with the discount code POD10. You can find a link in the show notes.